This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Dave, my podcast partner, is an accomplished guitarist. Whoa, 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 whoa. That would be like saying I'm an accomplished fly fisher. <laughs> well, true. <laughs> hey, can I tell you a quick story? Sure. I have a 40th edition, 40th anniversary edition of the Fender Stratocaster. Wow. So about 15 or 20 years ago, I had a friend who's an ophthalmologist who kind of hit midlife, hated his job. And he started giving away yet a bunch of guitars. So one day he just pops over to my house. And he says, "Hey Dave, you're a great friend. Here's this guitar. I'm giving it. I'm just giving it to you." Mm-hmm. So he gave wow. me this 40th edition, anniversary edition of this Fender Stratocaster. No way. A couple months later, he says, "Dave, I know you need an amp." So he gave me this Mesa Boogie. <laughs> Amp. Which this, means nothing to me, but I'm assuming it would be like getting a, a hardy fly reel or something. Exactly. Yeah, That's exactly. Yeah. This Mesa Boogie amp, it's called the, I think it's called the Silver Bullet. I'm not sure. But wow. you could play Shea Stadium. Now, Shea Stadium is not Shea Stadium anymore. But you huh. could play the United Center with this yeah. thing. Just hook it up to a mic. I mean, this thing is unbelievable. It's got this really warm growl that comes through it. It's just mm. an amazing amp. Anyway, wow. so I am not... An accomplished guitar player. I am an aspiring. Yeah, but you're good. You are I love good. to play. In I do fact, love to play. In fact, Dave, come on. You sang and played a John Denver song at our <laughs> wedding. And hey, our wedding was a big deal. I mean, the, the multitude that was there, all of those 50, 60 people in this little town in Idaho many moons ago. I mean. Hey, didn't I also play at Aaron's wedding, your daughter? Yes, yes, you did. I did. You I did. can't remember what I played. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. So, so here's my request, Dave. I'm wondering, would you be willing? Willing to lead off our podcast by playing and singing John Denver's classic <laughs> Rocky Mountain High. I'd be okay with playing it, but yeah, certainly not yeah. singing it. Yes. But you didn't bring your guitar. Yeah. Why would I do that? Well, here's why you would do that because today our topic is fly fishing the Colorado high country. We're going to talk about challenges and adjustments. A few days before recording this podcast, you made a trip to Colorado without me, I might add. Yep. But you fish with my brother while I'm slaving away in my suburban Chicago office. Yeah, well, remember, <laughs> you went out to Montana while I was yeah, uh, sitting here in cold Chicago back in March. That's right. It's payback, isn't it? Is it is payback. Yes. Payback's hard, isn't it? <laughs> it is, especially when you're the second one. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, as I've listened to your stories and my brother's stories, it seems like there were several challenges that you guys faced. And the two of you had to make some adjustments which made your time on the water successful. So uh, talk about the biggest challenge, and I mean literally the (laughs) biggest challenge. Okay, so I'm going to just pause for just a second. I'll talk about the biggest challenge, keeping everybody in in suspense, just to set this up. So I went out to Colorado for a client. So I decided to go early. So we have a client in the, on the Western Slopes. Actually, uh, we have a startup software company we're doing some work for and they had their first client out there. So we were talking with them, working on their messaging and their website mm-hmm. and all this stuff. 
So I took a couple days extra on the front end and I reached out to uh, Steve's brother, Dave. Dave is a professor uh, out in Denver and great fly fisher, although he hasn't fly fished as much as you. No, but he, it's just he's just disgustingly good. Oh, he's one of those athletic that's guys. That's what I who, found. Oh. Yeah. You know, ever, honestly, growing up, I mean, he's two years younger. And for every fish I caught, he catch two or sometimes three. I he think just, on this trip, it was for every three oh, he man. caught, I caught one. Yeah, anyway, it was a really great day. So just to set this up, we decided to go near Rocky Mountain National Park. And instead of going through Estes Park, which is you come in from the east side, we decided to come up from the southwest side near Winter Park, Granby, Grand Lake, because I had heard about a stream near Grand Lake. And I had heard about it in a Cabela's shop in Kansas City. A guy was wow. telling me, he goes, hey, there's a great hmm. little stream near Grand Lake. You know where that's at? I said, oh, yeah, I know where that's at. He goes, take that trail, go up a ways. He said, you'll catch caddis until, you know, not catch caddis. <laughs> you'll catch brook trout on caddis until your little heart's content. Wow. So that's where we intended to go. So we, we decided to go. We got up really early on a Saturday morning before the crowds in Denver were headed out. And instead of going to that lake and that stream, we actually missed the turnoff. And all of a sudden, we end up in Rocky Mountain National Park. Okay. So we had went through the entrance. We got a pass. And and we, we saw the Colorado. So the Colorado headwaters are there, and they actually flow right along um, the, the highway once you get into the park. Okay. And so Dave goes, hey, why don't we just stop? So we started fly fishing. And so back to the, the biggest challenge. So we're fishing. <laughs> And Dave's catching fish, of course. I'm catching one to every of his three. But we're having this terrific time. The waters are clear. It's gorgeous. And all of a sudden, David goes, look, look. There was two yearling moose that oh, were man. about 35 yards away moving through the brush. We're like, Oh, Why? that's scary because where there are calves, there's a cow somewhere Absolutely. Oh, and, wow. And what was really bad was... They got out to the open, and we were trying to fish the stream. We were, and it was tough to work around them, right? What we mm -hmm. should have done is probably just quit, but we were like, yeah. okay, I'm yeah. here to fish. So you move, I'm not gonna move. But one of them kept turning and looking back into the brush, which you know oh, what wow. that means. Yes. Mama's uh -huh. back in yep. the brush. Mm -hmm. So we, all of a sudden they moved off, and we, we started fly fishing again for probably another hour, maybe 45 minutes to an hour. And next thing you know, they're there, right there again. Oh, wow. And the stream at this point had moved closer to the road, maybe 100 yards. And so there were all these tourists trying to move down with their cameras oh, towards boy. the moose. Of course, tourists are the most yeah. often, or so, <laughs> are they just idiots, right? So they're moving towards these two yearling moose. And the moose are like getting scared and moving closer to us. Oh, great. Yes. So we're like, okay, so we're between. <laughs> so we're like, All right, Dave, we have just got to get out of here. And so we did. We bolted for the highway. And it was, it was a little bit awkward for a moment, these two yearling moose. Now, I think what we had in our favor was at this point, those are yearlings. So they were born a year ago last spring. So my guess is that mama moose has a new calf yeah and so um she's probably with that young one who's only what three months old yep. two or three months old so but it's just it's steering clear of the moose that was our big <laughs> wow what a deal our big obstacle at least that first couple hours of the day well you don't want to be anywhere near a moose when my brother's involved did, did he tell you his story 
No, I don't think so. Oh, oh I, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, what was that? I may have shared this on a podcast before, but it, it's been a while. So back when we lived in Montana, we were both in our early 20s, and we, you know, we loved to bow hunt for elk, and then we'd rifle hunt, and we had, we discovered this, this open park on, yeah, that's what you call them, the, the hillside, the, the meadows, these parks. And we were in the, uh, the Absorky Beartooth Wilderness area, and we, we actually stumbled on this in bow season. My dad and I and another friend uh, uh, you know, were calling in, bugling in uh, bulls, and we actually stumbled into this park, and we saw two bull elk fighting. First time I've ever seen, the only time I've ever seen that, you know, other than in Yellowstone Park. But uh, That's you know, amazing. I, yeah, it really Bull was. elk fighting? Yeah. See, uh-huh. That's a great... And we went back there in rifle season that year, and I actually shot one of those bulls. I recognized it because it had a had kind of a funky brow tine. Well, the next year, my brother and my dad go into that same park, and my brother shot a, a nice five-point bull, which was bigger than the one that I shot, of course. Yeah. But so they're they're there, they're you know they're skinning this thing out, and they're gonna you know debone the you know take the meat off. I mean, you have to, this was a, uh, just to get it out to an area where you could bring horses in to, to pack the meat out. You had to do that. So they're doing this. And my brother, Dave, somehow nicked his thigh, which he can sometimes be a little accident prone. So, you know, here they are in the middle of this park, they're standing by a tree. So my brother pulls down his hunting pants and his uh, long underwear so he could deal with this nick on his thigh. And just as he did that, he hears this crash and here comes a cow moose being chased by a bull and they <laughs> and they are coming right at him. So imagine this, so here oh he is. He's trying to shimmy over to this tree with his hunting pants down at his ankles <laughs> That's to, great. to get his rifle. And, That's a uh, Norman Rockwell oh, scene. It is. That's awesome. And he said it about 10 yards, the, the cow went one way, and I don't think, I think the bull went the other way around this tree. <laughs> but So when I heard you guys were near moose, I thought, oh no, my, my brother and moose, this is not a good combination. Well, he told me that other story again, and we've again relayed this before in the oh, podcast. He's coming back from yeah. bull hunting. And it's in the evening, it's dusk, He's and I think it's near, oh. it's in Paradise you know Valley, right? It, it was that same drainage. It was that same drainage, the West Fork of Mill Creek. Yep. So he's coming back, it's evening, he's by himself, he only has his bow and his hunting knife, comes around this bend, and there were five, count them, five mountain lions oh. crouched, That's right. all looking at him. <laughs> And he said they began hissing at him. Oh. So imagine you're kind of tooling along on the oh. way back, heading towards your truck. It's a little bit dark, you're a little bit tired. And you round this bend, and there are five mountain lions looking at you, hissing at Man. you. He said it took them about a minute, and they all just singularly got up and slowly walked away. And they kept looking back at him. Wow. My guess is they thought maybe a, you know, a young deer yeah. was coming around the bend or yep. something but oh my Boy. so your brother you know has these amazing experiences out <laughs> in the know, wild I know. so yeah just beware whenever you fish with dave so that was one big challenge well what else did you face that day well i thought the i thought the fish were really finicky um, mm-hmm. we caught a lot of fish dave caught more than i did i caught some really nice brookies but 
it was not did you, easy. Did, who caught the biggest one of the day? I probably did. Well, on that's the all merger. that matters then. Yeah, there yeah. There you go. <laughs> exactly. I think I caught the biggest one on yeah. the merger, but my guess is Dave caught so many that, and he's, yeah. he's so understated. He probably yeah. did catch the biggest yeah. one. But so the first place we fished, um, it, they, you know, we were throwing different things at them. We were throwing, paras- throwing parachute atoms at them and caddis. I threw caddis uh, top fly plus a, an emerger atom. Did I try to nymph? At one point, I even tried to wow. nymph fish because the runs were actually really nice. Mm-hmm. But they were just really finicky. I, at, when we fished the Colorado headwaters there for the first couple hours, it, there wasn't a ton of fish that we caught. And then after that, we finally found this creek that I intended to fish initially. We found it, and it was such a small creek. So we hiked back about two miles. They said on the, well, the trailhead said, if you go back five, four miles, there's this big valley. You could see it, a big meadow. And, mm-hmm. and so we went up about two miles. We actually started fishing. I think Steve, uh, Dave got a couple strikes, but they were small brook trout. And we thought, you know, why don't we just go back grab lunch and then go back into Rocky Mountain National Park, go way over Trail Ridge Drive, so go really down the other side, the eastern yeah. slope of, of uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, and fish the Fall River. Now, you had fished the Fall River before, right? Well, yeah. Last year, uh, I was fishing with my brother Dave and my son Luke, and we had, had heard about, a, yeah, that, that's in that area where you have that alluvial fan, you know, the Lawn yeah. Lake Dam burst and and so when the water came tumbling down that mountain it just created this <laughs> alluvial fan you just have this rock you know landslide and so we had heard that up above that there was some decent fishing well we thought it was closer and we realized it was going to be a big hike and so we just said look let's just fish the fall river never had fished it it always looked kind of pretty but uh, didn't know so yeah we we walked down there last year and, and did real well and i'm assuming you i think you fished at the same place yeah we did yeah. and 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 to be honest with you we started took a while of course again we're, we were fishing probably three o'clock four o'clock and it mm-hmm. wasn't that seven to ten window that we talked about and the water important. was higher too wasn't it, it was higher that's an issue in yeah. fact they had so much snowpack that year that a lot of the creeks are still a little bit swollen. Now they wow. weren't blown yeah. out; they were clear, but right. they were swollen. And that makes a big difference. It does. The fish—they yep. just have. There's different spots. It's. I think it's harder to know where they're sitting. Yeah, it really but, is. But uh, so we started maybe first 30 minutes. We didn't catch anything. I think Dave had a couple strikes, but then I switched to a. Uh, I put on an emerger. I put it a top fly was a caddis, and then dropped an emerger, and immediately I caught two fish. And um, at that point. Your brother had a stimulator. He tried this. He had a really, I think, a size 12 stimulator. Which I is did, kind of what? Just a big, bushy well, fly? With... Big, bushy fly. It had elk hair um, as the you know hackle. Okay. And it had kind a little of an color. Orange body. Yeah, maybe? orange body. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, that was deadly. From that moment wow. on, about, it wasn't every cast. Uh, he still had yeah. to work for it. But probably every 10, 15th huh. cast, he was catching fish. Wow. And, and at that point, I didn't have anything like that in my fly box. Yep. And I tried a bunch of different things. I even tried nymphing a little bit. And then I went back to what's called an H&L variant, which is a new fly I hadn't heard of before. Oh, yeah. It's kind of a Colorado pattern. Yeah, it's yeah. called the H&L variant. And I, not all fly shops have it. I found two fly shops. Well, I guess the Orvis, Orvis fly shop has it. And then there was this fly shop in Winter Park, Colorado, that had it as well. Basically, it's a Royal Coachman. It has instead of the body, it has the 
it has white uh, the calf hair coming out the back end of it. Okay. So yeah. it, it's just it looks a little different from the Royal Coachman. There's no red it's body. More, yeah, more brown and white. Yeah, than, brown and than white. No and red in it. What's but, uh, really nice is that you can really see it well, and it mm -hmm. floats high in the water. Yeah. So I, I put that on, and man, I I did really well at the end of the day. So, hmm. but in that between the time I caught the first two on the emerger to the you know about an hour and a half later, I didn't catch a single wow. fish. I had a couple strikes. But Dave was just catching them left and right. <laughs> yeah. But they were a little bit finicky, and yep. these were all brook trout. There were huh. no brown trout. Now, are there brown trout in that river? Did I you ever catch I any? can't remember. I just remember catching brookies. I have to yeah. tell you, it was really nice to catch brook trout because, yes. as you know, the brown trout often overtake a oh, stream. Oh, they really do. Yep. And it was really nice to catch brook trout. How fun. So some of your challenges were moose, finicky fish, high water. Any, and you made adjustments to all of those. Anything else that stands out? So one of the things that you should know about Colorado, I think we all wish we could move to Colorado or Montana or someplace where, you know, there's a lot of fly fishing, a lot of water, you know, 300 days of sunshine. One of the things you should know about Colorado, there's 100,000 people right now moving into the state every year. And most of those are moving into the wow, front range. the front range, yeah. So that has put an enormous, enormous pressure on fly fishing, on the streams. It's put an enormous pressure on the lakes, a lot on the hikes. There And there's so many people hiding, hiking these 14,000 foot peaks like Long's Peak. Mm -hmm. I think so far this year there have been like four people that have died hiking these wow. 50. There's 54 Not peaks surprised. in Colorado yeah. that are over 14,000. Mm -hmm. In fact, one just died. I saw an email uh, recently from Dave sending, sent me one that uh, said that one had just died. Well, all that to say is it's really crowded out there. Wow. And yes, the bulk of the people live in Denver, but they're all commuting on the weekends out to the you know out, out to the wild places so um so after dave and i fly fished on saturday on the next day sunday i, I drove out to glenwood springs because that's where i was working with this client and uh one of the guys at the bank um said to me you know I'm, he's a big fly fisher he said you know the roaring fork flows right into the colorado here why don't you go up the roaring fork and he said i would not go out until about 8 30 because that's when the caddis start to mm -hmm. rise and or fish start to rise to caddis so i got out and i was going to take this other partner with me he's uh he's another consultant that works with this software company and we were going to go out i was going to actually take him out and teach him he'd never he'd fly fished once i think on a on a guided trip so I wanted to take him out we got out there and the place where we went was just filled with cars the access point and you know what I turned around and said eh I'm not gonna fly I don't need to fly fish with you know with the crowd so I actually didn't fly fish that night and I thought to myself well you know you're only out in Colorado every so often you should you should go do it but I just didn't have the energy yeah. for it. I thought I just oh. don't want to fight I'm only, there's only this window of nine, you know, 8.30 to 9.30, and I just didn't want to fight other fly fishers. So I got to the trailhead, and I just said, you know, it's a 10-minute hike down to the Roaring Fork, mm -hmm. and I just am not going to no. fight it. So I decided not to. So the crowds, I think in Montana especially, on the big rivers, like the Roaring yep. Fork, the Frying Pan, Cheeseman Canyon, you know, the, the, the Platte River, uh, the Green River, the you know, I think it's the Gunnison you know, you're mm -hmm. just going to really yeah. run into a lot of crowds. So my advice to you, if you're going out there, find the wild places, find the small creeks, find the places like the Fall River inside um, Rocky Mountain National Park, 
and or else do it in, at times in which they're not out like get up really early or stay really late do it during the week you know anything that you can do to avoid the crowds because it's it's crazy out there yeah that makes a lot of sense well and that's why we love the high country uh you know you got the crystal clear water you've got solitude if you walk far enough uh you get some great dry fly fishing when you hit the right spot at the right time. And, and hey, here's a final one, Dave. You, the food tastes even better after a great day. Absolutely. So where, where did you guys eat? We ate at Penelope's in Estes Park. Oh, now. man, that's one of my favorite haunts. It's just Dave. a hole-in-the-wall burger place. Total hole-in-the-wall mm. burger place. There's so many restaurants in I always, Park. I even know what I get. I get the mushroom and Swiss burger. You know what? That's fries. exactly what I had. Whoa. You no, know, we are girlfriends, oh, aren't we? man, I guess so. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what that's I That's what had. our wives call us, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's man. crazy. I, I am going to complain yeah. one more time about okay. the crowds. Yes. We got into Estes Park probably about 7 o'clock on that Saturday evening. And I, I'm telling you, I'd rather be in Chicago, in the Chicago Loop, downtown Chicago, Man. at lunchtime during mm. midday than being in the middle of Estes Park that evening. Oh, it was boy. miserable. The traffic was oh. horrible. And it's almost all one lane. You yeah, know, so it's, it's just, just unbelievably miserable. Wow. I, I was so discouraged after yeah. actually coming back because I used to live out in Colorado back in the 80s. And it was a wild place still there. And you could just yeah. get out. It wasn't two hours to get to Vail or three hours to get to Vail now, depending on the traffic. Oh. And That's just, just wrong, isn't it? It's just wrong, yeah. And I, I get why people are going out there. but man. And we do it, too. So we're, I guess we're part of the yeah, problem. Exactly. But, uh, exactly. But it is. That's tough. That's tough. All right. It's time for great stuff from our listeners. Here's a comment from Brian in our podcast on the art of fly fishing alone. Brian wrote... I usually fish alone, and quite honestly, I prefer it most of the time. Safety is the key word, especially for us older fly fishers. I always carry a wading staff. In fact, I feel lost without it, even when bank fishing. Right now, I'm about 700 miles from my wife in the Black Hills. I have Wi-Fi in this cottage, but no mobile phone service. So before I leave to fish, I go on Google Maps, click on where I will be fishing, and cut and paste uh, the lat and long to my calendar, latitude, longitude to my calendar, iCloud or Google, along with my estimated time on the water, and my wife will have my position on her phone. I update the info if and when I get a mobile signal. Oh, that's really great. It really that is, is. Actually, it's... really, that's practical. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I have to say, I haven't really thought about, uh, um, you know, using actual GPS coordinates, but you can do that now. But you know, we, we've tried to practice that. If, if we're alone, always let somebody know, hey, this is, this is where we are. And we're so predictable, aren't we? We, yeah. we have these spots on the river. Yeah. So if, if I'm ever lost in the bear trap, <laughs> most of my friends, and, and you know exactly where to find Well, you know who's going to come looking for us. It's not our wives. It's the people at the Ribbon Chop House. Yes, that's right. <laughs> They'll say, hey, we're, we're who are losing. those two fly fishers who always come in after they go fly fishing? We're Let's send out business. a search party. That's right. That's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I also, get oh. his, I also get his point about I usually fly fish alone, and, and quite honestly, he says, I mm -hmm. prefer it most of the time. Yeah. I totally get that. And yep. I think for a lot of people, getting out alone, is mm -hmm. it's that that's the only space you have. Yes where you are truly alone and mm -hmm. I totally get that yep. yeah makes a lot of sense yeah good uh, good comment good reminder about safety 
Well, that's going to do it for today. What experiences have you had fishing the high country? And what have you learned? Please go to twoguysinariver.com and comment on this podcast link. What have you learned about fly fishing the high country? You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, Stitcher. And, of course, you can visit our website, twoguysinariver.com. We would love for you to follow us on Instagram and Twitter specifically. And we'd love for you to purchase our book on Amazon.com. Yes, we would. Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. Life is short. Catch more fish. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing.